and welcome to another edition of Throwing Bagels. Kevin Mooney here with you alongside Chris Douglas. Hey, Chris. Kevin, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? Doing well. And uh, Jason Hamo with us here as well. Hey, Jason. Hello, Kevin. Another spectacular guest uh, joining us. And they just wish one after the other. <laughs> joining us now, 2004 graduate of Oswego State, uh, associate director and producer, three-time Emmy winner at CBS Sports. It's Ade Ellis. Ade, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's really my pleasure. You first came up, uh, we noticed that uh, Oswego had posted something online about um, you being a, a key part of CBS's coverage of the PGA of America tournament in Rochester about, about a month or so ago. Uh, of course, you know, when we sit there and, and watch golf on TV from home, it all looks seamless, one to another, to another, to another. Uh, but but what is producing a PGA tournament like uh, on the other side of the camera? Well, I will say this, for the viewer at home, it's probably the most boring sport to watch because, you know, some people say it's a good way to take a nap because it's very slow and methodical. But on the other side, the production side, golf is actually the most involved sport that we do and the toughest sport that we cover. Because if you're watching a football game, yes, the action's great. Same thing with a basketball game, but they're playing on one court and one football field. Golf, there's 18 holes and there's 156 golfers. So they're playing simultaneously. And if a player is playing on the 10th hole, they're not going to take a timeout so that we could cover the player on the 18th hole. So the fact that there's action going on on every single hole makes it very challenging because you want to show Roy McIlroy. But at the same time, Roy McIlroy's putting. you got Justin Thomas that's got an eagle putt on a different hole. And a lot of times, I'm going to let you in a little TV secret, a lot of times we wind up showing shots that are on tape and – you know, we play it off as it's if it's live. Um, but, you know, it's not like it's five minutes delayed. It, it'll be maybe five seconds delayed or 10 seconds delayed. But we play it off as plausibly live. And the trick is when you're showing a shot on tape, you got to keep track of what you showed on tape. Did we advance the shot? So let's say um, the guy's on the fairway and the group in front of him is still on the green. Uh, it doesn't make sense that we showed a fairway shot if we didn't pay off the group that's on the green already. So it's a lot to keep track of because there's simultaneous whole coverage going on at the same time. Um, and you just really got to keep track of what you showed, what you paid off. And then the scoreboard has to reflect what we showed off on tape or live. Because if oh, you show a score that didn't happen in real life, the viewer is going to say, OK, for some reason, Justin Thomas went from minus seven to minus eight. And we didn't pay that off on TV yet. So they're going to know okay, Justin Thomas made this putt or it didn't make this putt because we showed on the leaderboard that Justin Thomas is through eight, but in reality, we didn't show him finishing on the eighth hole. So it's a lot to keep track of when it comes to golf. How Not do you decide there. like who you're going to, who you're going to show, right? Besides, besides, you know, obviously the leader and, you know, the, the, the top pairing, right? Cause those are always going to be like generally the number one followed you know, group, how do you decide who you're, is it just, you know, let's go with the big names for the most part and see what they're doing unless they're like completely out of it? No, it's a great question. So, you know, it's a group effort. The uh, the main producer of the golf covers we have, his name is Sellers Shy. Um, and then with Sellers, we have a person who's the replay producer who's in charge of all the replays. And, you know, obviously you go with the leaders because people want to see what the leaders are doing. So the top, you know, five or six on the leaderboard, we try to follow them. And if there's any big names that are out there, like your Tiger Woods, and your Rory McIlroy's, 
your Phil Mickelses, what have you, Brooks Kapka, all the big names that are multiple major winners. You know, we want to make sure we show them what they're doing because, you know, even if Tiger Woods is not in the top 10 on the leaderboard, people still care about what he's doing. So we want to make sure we have coverage of the of the mammoth names. And, you know, we try to make it all make sense to what the viewer, you know, if you think about it, if you're watching golf at home, you know, you want to see what the leaders are doing and then you want to see what the, the biggest names are doing. So that's kind of like what we do. We kind of give the people, you know, what, what they want, or at least what we, what we think they want. <laughs> Sometimes they don't know what they want, but uh, you know, we tell them what they want. Like in the PGA championship that just happened, the big story was Michael Block, the club pro that made the cut and, you know, was playing with some big names and but I'm hitting a hole in one, which was phenomenal. And mm -hmm. he kind of, became the story of the PGA championship. So sometimes, you know, the story just kind of creates itself. You can have an idea that, okay, we're going to just be exclusively staying with Brooks Kepka or staying with this group, but then somebody who you wouldn't even expect kind of comes out of nowhere and becomes the story. So is there like a, a constant ballet of roving cameras and stationary cameras all throughout the tournament? Yeah, a hundred percent. So we have, you know, our hard cameras on designated holes. And then we have what we call minis and there's minis that walk with the specific groups. So our director, Steve Milton, he'll assign the mini cameras to walk with uh, the designated groups and they'll follow that group throughout the day. Or if there's a different story that's breaking, he'll take the mini camera away from that one group and send it to a different group. So for part of that weekend, you also played host to three Oswego State students who got to shadow several folks during the tournament. How did that all come together? In theory, it sounded like a great idea because as you know, <laughs> Oswego is only hour and a half max from Rochester. Yeah. It was played at Pittsburgh Oak Hill Country Club. Mm -hmm. So I had the idea to, oh, you know, Oswego's not far. Maybe we could have some students come observe and see what a telecast is like. And on paper that sounded like a great idea but what i didn't realize was that school was out for the year the week before ah. so you know some of the students that the three students that came had a long way to get there so i totally didn't realize that school was going to be out that week um had it been a week earlier it would have been great they would have been in oswego already so uh you know i talked with jennifer knapp who's the dean of communications at suny oswego you know ran the idea by her and she loved the idea but then i had to get approval from our management team just to make sure that it was okay for the students to be there and observe because, you know, there's a lot going on and just want to make sure that they know what they can and what they can't do. So there's all sorts of clearances through management that you have to, that you have to do because you don't want them to go there and they're just sitting there not learning anything. So it's kind of like, yes, they're going to be there, but we have to have something for them to do so that they can learn and observe. You know what I mean? So it takes a lot of planning to, uh, to make sure that they're uh, entertained while they're there. Um, so one student came from Albany, uh, his name is Ryan. And then another student lives in Oswego. So it wasn't that far from her. It was, her name was Melinda, but then the person that had the biggest trip, her name was Jolie and she lives in Rockland County where I live. So that's wow. kind of, it was kind of a, a voice for her to, to get out there. You guys put them to work with you guys just, they shadowed everything and they were in the truck. Where were they exactly? Yeah. So, uh, they shadowed different things. They met with some of the management team. Each person got to observe a certain uh, portion of the broadcast. Uh, Jolie observed the production side. Um, Ryan was with operations. And then Melinda was with, um, I believe she was with operations as well, too, if I'm not mistaken. But 
eventually, I guess Melinda was able to be really assertive and take initiative and volunteer to help out. And it turns out that uh, she left a good impression on on the right people and they invited her to come back the next day and the day after. So, you know, for anybody listening to this, the opportunity that you get is great, but what you do with that opportunity is what's really going to Mm -hmm. uh, make you stand out from other people. You were the one who helped create that opportunity. So, so how much does that mean to you to, to be able to do that? Oh, absolutely. It's great. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I could help out. um, But what the person does is, really what's going to uh, to be rewarding. Um, and it's great that, you know, they left a good impression and um, it feels really good and fulfilling to be able to uh, to help out because, you know, nobody gets to where they are by themselves. Um, everybody, you know, needs help. And anybody who says they got to where they are because they were self-made and get, didn't get help is full of, you know what, it's a podcast. I don't know if I can cuss on here. So <laughs> and I'm just going to say they're full of, you know what, um, so it's just about helping other people because I've had people help me along the way. So, you know, why not help other people when I have the opportunity to do it? We all listened to uh, an interview you did uh, last year and basically speaking about how you started in with CBS and how you kind of got got your your start there. I don't know if you want to if you want to elaborate on that a little bit and just tell everyone like what happened uh, to that when you got your start at CBS. I. You know, went to SUNY Oswego, graduated in 2004. And uh, going into my senior year, I interned with Al Roker Productions. But the reason why I got my break at CBS was my summer job going into my senior year. I was working at the YMCA as a fitness trainer. And one of the clients at the gym at the YMCA, his name is Fred Shimuzu. uh, We played pickup basketball upstairs in the gym. And then he was working out downstairs in the weight room. And, you know, my job was, I wasn't a fitness buff. I just was cleaning the weights. And if someone wanted to like, you know, know how to use an um, exercise machine, I would show them how to use the exercise machine. But, you know, Freddie was talking with me, chatting me up and, you know, found out that I was still in school. And he was like, oh, so what's your plan after school? And I said, well, you know, I am studying broadcasting and mass communications and I want to, you know, work in the broadcast industry. And then he goes, well, you know, I work at CBS Sports. And if you want to come by on a weekend one day, you know, I can show you around one of these weekends. So, you know, another very important lesson is about following up because, you know, sometimes people say things and it's just an empty promise. They don't really mean it. But I followed up with Fred and I said, hey, you know, I would love to come by this weekend if that's okay still. So I came by, he showed me around the building and then after I left, he said, keep in touch next year after you graduate, and I'll see if I can get you working here. So then after I graduated the next year, I reached out to him, followed up, and I said, if that opportunity is still available, uh, I would love to you know, work with CBS if there's anything available. So he introduced me to the right people, and I started working there on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays only. And my job was literally logging time codes for the studio show. So I would log a time code. If they needed a touchdown, I'd say, okay, LaDainian Tomlinson scored a touchdown on this time code. And they would use that for the highlights for the halftime show. And then same thing with basketball as well. So that was my job. You know, I was working on the weekends, Saturdays, Sundays, and then Monday through Friday, you know, I was selling dental supplies because my neighbor had a dental supply company and I was, you know, driving around selling dental supplies in the area. But then a real passion was, 
you know, what I did at CPS on the weekend. And it was something that, you know, you consider it menial, logging time codes, but, you know, it's something that no matter what, how big or how small your job is, you really got to take it seriously because you never know who's watching. Now, you know, you could say, okay, man, this is a menial task. I'm above this. But when you're starting out, you can't have that mentality. You got to do whatever it takes to get to where you want to get because, you know, that's what started the the process of me being able to move up. And I was noticed, you know, through my time uh, doing that, logging, and then I became a shot sheet writer. And then from shot sheet writer, they had an opening for a resource position, full-time resource position. So I applied for it and was able to get hired as a full-time researcher and then just worked my way up ever since then through the years. What's involved in research? How far back do you start from a particular event? Uh, I think it's pretty... Um, straightforward. Literally, they want you to look up something. They say, hey, when's the last time something like, you know, this person uh, scored this many touchdowns? Or when's the last time, you know, this happened in an in, in NCAA tournament game? So literally, you know, you're looking up stats and you write notes for the studio shows. So you kind of look up anything that's going on sports-wise and you come up with the notes that people use, whether it's for the football games or the studio shows, and then you write the daily clippings. So anything that's going on in the world of sports, what I had to do is I had to um, put together all the articles in sports, what was going on in the world of sports, and put them together. And uh, this way, you know, Jim Nance or whomever, if he wants to know what's going on in the world of sports, he would read the, you know, articles that I would send to the mass uh, people that work at CBS. And then also my job for research is, you know, I started off helping out with our NFL films requests. So my job was if producers and directors and associate directors needed footage from NFL films for their NFL games, I had to track all that stuff down and communicate with films and see, you know, if they can get us this historical footage that they wanted to use for, for the game. And I felt like that assignment kind of like helped me stand out because stuff that I was tracking down that I was getting was being used for the games that were on Sundays. Ade, where, where does winning an Emmy kind of rank among your career successes so far? And what did you win your Emmys for? Uh, I will say this. I got an Emmy. I don't feel like I won the Emmy because I was part of the team. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, man, we couldn't have won this if he wasn't here. So it was just a, a team win, team effort. And, you know, I got it because I was part of the team. But it was great. You know what I mean? My name is on it. So, you know, they can't take that away. My name is on it. But, uh, you know, I won for our coverage of the NCAA tournament. That was the first one. And then uh, I also won for our coverage of NFL on CBS. And then the most recent one was the Masters 2019 when Tiger Woods was the winner uh, when he came back and was able to win the Masters, uh, which was a pretty cool story. It's funny because when he won, you know, we looked at each other. We're like, all right, that's another Emmy coming our way. One time. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tiger Woods. You called the shot. Right. So when you have friends come over, are you are you like just kind of flexing over like, hey, check out this shelf over here. The three Emmys. <laughs> well, it's funny you guys say that because right now we're doing this podcast with no video. And I was asking if we we're going to do video because I was going to position the computer so that you can see the Emmys in the background. Yes. Since there's no video, you know, you just have to imagine in my living room the three Emmys on the uh shelf in the living room. 
Yeah, if you've seen one, you've seen a thousand of them, right? <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. That would be a great Zoom background, though, Ade. You just yeah. take the Zoom back. Just take that picture with you wherever you go. Well, you know, I may or may not, when we have work Zooms, you know, position myself in the living room so that people <laughs> at work know what time it is. That's such an excellent flex. I love it. <laughs> well, while we're flexing, I'll say one more thing. So that 2019 Masters that got us to Emmy, uh, you know, I bought a Masters flag that week and I got it signed by Tiger Woods. Because awesome. he was the wow. winner. He he uh he was able to sign it. So uh, awesome. I promise that's the last flex. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, keep no. going. Hey, if you got that, you're you're more than welcome to. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that your your favorite sport to cover? I mean, is it golf? Is it the NFL or is is it something else? Uh I would honestly say it's uh it's the NFL for sure. You know, that's how I got into sports watching NFL. I'm a Raiders fan. For better or for worse, but my first memory of football is watching Bo Jackson and uh, watching him do his thing. That's my very first football memory, and I kind of fell in love with the game there. So I've always been, you know, big on the NFL. You've mentioned when we were talking off air before we started that you have your own um, your own show that you produce, Beyond Limits. What is it's a series? So what is this series about? So. It started off in 2021. This is our third season of production. And this is a show that was pitched uh, back in 2020 and was uh, approved for, for production the following year. And the original season was about athletes of color generally who are having success in sports that traditionally don't have high representation with people of color. So season one, we had three episodes and we, you know, span the globe for various sports, whether it was, you know, water polo, uh, rodeo, skateboarding. So any sport that is not basketball or football, uh, we even had an ice hockey story uh, season one as well. So any sport that traditionally didn't have high representation for people of color, we focused on these athletes and who were having success and they weren't just satisfied with their success, that they were, you know, speaking out about trying to grow the game and improve participation. Uh, amongst people of color. And then, you know, we since have uh, pivoted in the past two seasons to open it up to more topics, but it's still, you know, the same general concept that these are athletes that are living beyond limits. And, you know, we focus on athletes of color. And then we also focus on people um, in the LGBTQ community as well, too. You know, we had a couple episodes uh, this past month in June, one episode was on Pride Month. Um, and then last season, we had a senior producer named Sarah Kazadi, who, to be honest with you, has taken the idea that, you know, was formed in 2020, has taken that show to a whole nother level with the addition of Sarah. Um, so, you know, she's been doing some phenomenal work on the show and really put this show in a whole nother stratosphere. So she's been doing a great job with that. Can you take us through the process of how a show is developed like that? Like you pitch the idea and then what happens? No, it's a great, excellent question. So the show was pitched um, with our, you know, executive producer, Harold Ryan and our uh, VP of original programming, Emily Deutsch. And they said, okay, this sounds like a decent idea. So then the team I was working with uh, were two other people. Uh, Nia Walker and Sharon Watson, like we were the three 
originators of the show. And we kind of brainstormed to how we can flesh out, you know, with the concept. So we kind of went to the drawing board and flushed out if we wanted to be 30 minutes or an hour, the show format, subjects we get for the show, um, locations for shoots, um, host. So we went through everything. And then once we had it all flushed out, we uh, kind of went back to our management team and said, okay, this is our vision for the show. And then once we pitched the vision for the show, then it goes to our EVP of programming, Dan Weinberg. And he's the one who basically says, yes, we could find a place for this in programming or no, there's not really a place for this in programming. So once we got the green light from Dan Weinberg, you know, it was all full go and, uh, you know, we, we take it from there. Is it an online show? No, it airs uh, nationally on CBS. So for anybody who's listening to this, the next episode will be on CBS nationwide, Sunday, July 9th at 1230. That's my plug. Excellent. This is really something that you've you've been deeply involved with Beyond Limits from, from the very start. How gratifying is it that this program is now reaching a national audience? No, it's, it's great. It's very gratifying and uh, just thankful for the opportunity um, because let's be honest, you know, they could have said no. And uh, by me, you know, pitching this idea and concept, uh, it was something of a way to show that, hey, you know, I can do more than just being a TV truck and part of a, a live telecast. There's more things that I feel like, you know, I can bring to the table as well. So, you know, once again, this was thankful for the opportunity and, um, you know, really thankful for the addition of Sarah Kazadi, because like I said, she's taking this show to a whole nother level. She's so great to work with. And um, it, it feels good that something that you are part of is on national television. It's one thing, you know, if you're working a football game, it's awesome working a football game. But the NFL was around for over 100 years. You know what I mean? And I didn't create the NFL. I didn't create the Final Four. I didn't create the Masters. But, you know, this show is something that I can be like, you know what, this is something that I was there from day one, from concept to completion. So it's really rewarding to see this. Absolutely. About a month ago, it was the PGA tournament. Uh, what is the next big event on your calendar? <laughs> the next big event on my calendar is after uh, the show airs July 9th is, you know, a couple of weeks just to catch up and be a, be a regular human being, you know, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that for sure. But then uh, after that, you know, we'll start with um, preseason football. Oh, you know, yeah. once August rolls around. We got preseason football coming up. And then, you know, I, uh, you know, we have the FedEx Cup playoffs as well uh, coming up in August as well. You know, CBS has all the playoff events this year. So those are the, you know, big things in the immediate future. And then looking ahead to September, then the regular season will uh, we'll get started and, you know, we'll be uh, fresh into football. So are you mostly um, traveling or do you do much studio work? I would say 90 to 95% of my job is done on a remote side. My typical calendars from, you know, August to January, it'll be football at some capacity, NFL on the road. And then from January to March, I'll be doing basketball. You know, Final Four will be first week in April. And then from April to August, you know, I do golf. So at some point during the year, you know, in a truck, most likely is where you'll find me <laughs> in a truck somewhere. 
how many times do you cross paths with other Oswego grads? Uh, that's an excellent question. More than you might think. So this past football season, I was working with uh, Greg Gumble, Adam Archuleta crew, and our tech manager is Brian Arizari, who is a, a 2003 uh, alum, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Brian, if you hear this and I got it wrong, I apologize. But it's funny because Brian and I were friends in college. So we knew all the same people, took the same classes. And now seeing him every week in a television truck was something that's just like kind of mind blowing. You know what I mean? Like somebody you've known for over 20 years, working side by side, literally side by side. I'm sitting here. And then Brian is sitting to the right of me inside the television shot. So it's great. And then we have a couple of other alums as well, too. Gabriel Almanzar. Almanzar he's somebody who is uh, the art director, a creative director for, for CBS News. And he gives a lot back to the Oswego community as well. Uh, Jenna Andrews, she's one of our graphics operators. So, you know, it's about four of us that uh, work at CBS. And also another guy, Yao Foriata, he's a uh, 05. He works mm-hmm. for us as well, too. So, you know, we have uh, good representation uh, inside the CBS building. Yeah, for awesome. everyone that talks about Newhouse, Oswego's <laughs> got your beat, man. I don't That's care right. what anyone says. That's right, baby. But it is the same area code, 315. So, you know, it's all in the 315. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Central New yeah. York. Central New York stand up. <laughs> These are all guests. We're we're gonna we need to get them all on our podcast. So. I got you. I got I got direct dials to every one of them. So nice. We'll get the word out. Yeah. So I mean, when did you start seeing that sports broadcasting was a potential career path? How old were you at that point? I've known I wanted to work in sports broadcasting since I was in high school. And the inspiration for me, quite frankly, is uh, a gentleman who's no longer with us, Stuart Scott. So mm-hmm. when I was in high school and mm-hmm. growing up, you know, I saw him on Sports Center, and I was like, man, that's so cool. Like, because Stuart, before Stuart Scott, you know, it was, sports broadcasting was a lot different. Uh, so he brought a certain energy, and having someone who kind of looks like who looks like you bring that energy and talk in a way that you know is a way that you're familiar with talking and. It really was just revolutionary the way he uh, broadcasted. But the stuff that he's doing, that he was doing 25 years ago, it's very similar to what you know you see now. So he was ahead of his time. So seeing that person, Steen Stewart Scott, uh, do that was inspirational to me. Uh, and I said, man, I want to work in sports television. But then initially I was like, I want to be on the air. But the more I kind of got into the business and working, I realized that I want to be behind the camera because, you know, it's kind of ironic. I'm saying this as I'm a guest on your podcast, but <laughs> to me, uh, I'm honestly not comfortable being the center of attention. I don't like it. I don't like being the center of attention. I like kind of, you know, being part of the production, but I don't like being the front facing person. You know, I kind of like being in the cut where, you know, I take care of business and do my thing and have creative control over content and what we talk about, but I don't need to be the person that people recognize and, and see, oh, there's this person. So it's ironic that I say that. I realize the irony of saying that while on a podcast, but that's why I kind of uh, you know pivoted to the production side of things because I felt like that fed my creativity, which is something that I've always felt like I've had, being creative and uh, being able to have 
some sort of ownership and leadership in, in into the business. What appealed to you most about about Oswego and what, what brought you there? Man, you guys are gonna laugh at this, but <laughs> I've never heard of Oswego. Never even heard of it. You know, You're no, not the only up. one. You're not the only one. <laughs> you know, so you, you ever heard of the, the phrase sight unseen? I picked Oswego sight unseen. Uh wow. so I applied to Iona, St. John's, Seton Hall, Morehouse, all, you know, well-known schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into all those schools. The reason why I want about Oswego is because I went to a college fair with my uh, teammate named Adonis. And he's like, I'm going to go check out the Oswego table. And I was like, okay. But he and I were at the college fair together. So I walked over there with him. And he's talking to the Oswego recruiter and I'm just hanging out because, you know, we were there together. And I was just like, Oswego, what's this? So I picked up the brochure and I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, okay, they have my major. They have broadcasting mass communications, but I still didn't know where it was. And the next week a recruiter came to like talk to people who were interested. And I met with the recruiter and I, you know, talked with the, with the recruiter and I was like, oh, this seems kind of cool. And I applied. So I got into Oswego and I got into um, those other schools that I mentioned. And my mom really wanted me to go to Morehouse because it's mm-hmm. an HBCU school. She wanted me to go there. And I was like, man, I don't know where I'm going to go. But little by little, like things would pop up as to why I didn't like the other schools. And then the last team standing was uh, the last school standing turned out to be Oswego. But I still didn't know where it was. So <laughs> the first time I saw the campus, was uh orientation so wow. that's the first time i even saw the campus and i remember my mom was pissed because she was like do you realize how far away this is we've been driving for three hours and we're still not there yet so the first time i saw the school and realized where it was was when i had had my orientation isn't morehouse further though a little bit yeah that's a that's a plane <laughs> ride but you know it's a plane ride but it's like a two hour plane ride instead of a four plus hour drive. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And what did, so what, what happened then when, I mean, you grew up, you grew up in Rockland County, right? So the weather is in the, the winters are, you know, moderate. Sometimes you get some snow, sometimes, you know, might not. How did that first winter hit you then? Man, I tell you that first winter was, uh, was unbelievable. And they don't show those in the brochure, brochure, that's for sure. They definitely don't. They definitely don't. But, uh, you know, I would ask my friends uh, who were from there, I would say, hey, you know, is it as bad as everybody says it is? They're like, well, it gets cold, but the worst part is the wind. And uh, they weren't lying. I've seen, you know, I would see the wind just pick people up, blow them into trees. So that was really the toughest part because, uh, you know, I was ready for the cold, but I wasn't ready for that wind walking from the campus uh, buildings to Seneca because I lived in Seneca oh, my yeah. freshman year. So yeah. when you're walking to Seneca from the from the buildings, you know, once you turn that corner, boy, yeah, that wind just whoof, this takes control and just does whatever it wants. But uh, you know, it was an adjustment, and you know, I ran track when I was there, so I ran track and cross country, and back. When I was there, not to sound like an old guy, but in my day when I was there, we didn't have the indoor track or the facilities that mm-hmm. are there now, which are beautiful facilities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it was time for, you know, winter track, uh, we had to practice outside still. Mm-hmm. So 
it was just, uh, oh, man. you know, a lot to deal with, with the wind and the cold and the elements. Um, so many of, uh, you know, frozen fingers and many, you know, when they say blood, sweat and tears, but you know, the tears were from how cold it was outside, but, oh, uh, man. it was, uh, it toughened me up for sure. So did you, what, what kind of, what events did you run? Uh, I was, you know, a distance runner cross country in the, in the fall and, uh, indoor track i did the 3000 5000 sometimes wow. the 800 wow. and then outdoor track i would do the 5000 and the 10000 distance running that's a lot of distance yeah. running right there <laughs> no it's a lot of distance running but you know it was what i was better at because you know if you know if i had to run a 100 meter dash you could time me with a sundial so i didn't have you know <laughs> the speed that uh that some people have for the 100 meter dash so did you um did you get recruited by any schools or to to run or and obviously you didn't get recruited from Oswego because you went sight unseen you and you didn't really know anything about Oswego before that so I got a couple letters um but uh, it's funny because I just remember calling the Oswego coach at the time Don Masterson I was like hey uh, I'm going to school there and I saw you have a track team uh, a cross country team like is there a space and he was like yeah sure like great. And then the assistant coach at the time, who turned out to be the head coach, Tim Boyce, he was like, oh, like, welcome to the team. He's like, you know, I've been looking at your times and like your times, like they're good. I'm like, thanks. Appreciate that. So same thing. The first time I met the coaches was the first day of practice. That's the first time I met the coaches, Don and Tim. In fact, going backwards, that's the biggest reason why I didn't pick St. John's, because St. John's didn't have a cross country team. And back then, for me, cross country was my favorite sport. That's surprising. You had mentioned your mom wanted you to go to Morehouse. Yeah. Um, back last year, Jay mentioned you did a uh, interview with the Oswego State Alumni podcast, and you had talked about the National Association of Black Journalists. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us what your involvement is with that? Yeah, I um been going there since 2018, and then my involvement is you know we're kind of there to recruit. I guess you could say is um. Because NABJ is something that brings together people from all forms, print, radio, television, online, digital. Uh, and it's just a networking event. And what I do when I'm there is I man the CBS tables, me and, you know, a bunch of other people at CBS. And we come see people who are interested in potentially working for CBS. So it's mostly people who are on air. And, you know, we talk with them, speak with them see where they are in their respective journeys. And then I wind up watching a lot of people's reels and then just critiquing what their reels look like. And I say, oh man, this is really good. But this is something that you might want to improve upon. And if there's people that stand out that are really good, then I'll pass those people along to our management team, um, which is headed by Ross Malloy. And I'll say, hey, Ross, I saw this reel or you know, Molly, who's also part of that team. I'll say, Molly, I saw this reel and this person was really good. I think we should take a look at them and give them a potential opportunity. But then you also get people who are just fresh out of college who are just looking to get into the business as well on the production side. So it's just really a big networking event. And then you get to meet people from other organizations. Are you there for CBS looking for talent or are you, or are you going there more so as, you know, someone in the industry? I'd say it's 50, 50. I'm there as somebody in the industry, but you know, let's say, I have a shift from two to five. And from that two to five time period, I'm just looking at reels and talking with people 
who are interested at working at CBS Sports, interested in working at CBS Sports. And then the rest of the time, you know, I'm going, they have um, workshops and they have panels that I go and watch and, um, you know, meet other people from other organizations and just really talk with them as well, too. So it's a little bit of both because, you know, there's 24 hours in the day. But, you know, part of the time you're looking at reels, part of the time you're going to a panel, you know, part of the time you're attending a workshop. So it's very um, en enriching for me and then for the people that go there to to meet with me. Do you have, and switching gears here, uh, transition awkwardly, um, do you have a favorite city you like to travel to doing an event, like any sport, I guess? No, absolutely. Um, you know, I would say, you know, I kind of miss the San Diego Chargers just because, not, not because I'm a Chargers fan but because San Diego is a really great city to uh, to go to. And, you know, me, I rank my cities based on how the food is there. I kind ah, of, of course. Yeah, I like to yes. eat. Yeah, I love to eat. And I rank my cities based on the food. So I love San Diego because they got great food there, you know, great Mexican food. And, you know, there's a great Ethiopian restaurant that I go to when I'm out in, uh, in San Diego. So, you know, San Diego, I love. San Francisco has good food. New Orleans, obviously, is one of my favorite cities because they have incredible food in New Orleans. So if you got good food, then I like your city. <laughs> <laughs> when when you go to these these cities, right, is it strictly work? Is there are you there any days extra like that you can walk around a little bit, maybe before an event, after an event, or are you strictly business the whole time you're there? Well, somebody that you know, I work with might be listening to this. So I'm there just strictly business. That's right. It's so fun. Just there, just working the whole time. You know, as soon as we are, you know, we're off the air or done with work, go straight to my hotel room and just order room service or Uber Eats. So, you know, it's just straight work. Or maybe just stop at one of those restaurants, grab some dinner yeah, and then yeah. go home. Yeah, yeah no, delivery. They, they deliver. I don't even... <laughs> <laughs> Straight uh, delivery. I want. I did want to jump back a little bit to your days at, at Oswego. What kind of experience did you have on campus? Like, what did you get involved with to help, like, propel you toward uh, your career in sports broadcasting? Man, Oswego was, you know, like I said, it was sight on scene for me. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. To be honest with you, it was kind of like I said, the underdog. You know, I didn't know where it was, but it all worked out for, for, for the betterment. I think that if it weren't for Oswego, who knows where I would have been, um, you know, in Oswego, as you all know, because three, you all graduated from there. And I think Chris just said this, you know, it's not like a place that's like a hotbed, a tourist attraction, you know, it's kind of like in the middle of nowhere, you know, it's known for the Walmart and then the racetrack that's up there. Those are like the, the two <laughs> big rocks. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, what's going on here? But it's the kind of place that because of that, you really have to get involved in things and make the experience. There's some places where you can go where there's fun experiences, but a place like Oswego, you have to make it a fun experience. And if you do that and make it a fun experience, then you're going to get a lot out of it. You know, the cliche is, you know, you get what you put in, but Oswego is definitely that type of place where, you know, it's what you make it. And when I was there, um, I was involved in a lot of stuff. I did T.O.P., my uh, my freshman year, and you know, I figured out that uh, I remember Chris because he was a senior, I believe, when I was a freshman. Yep. Um, so you know, I was involved in WTOP. So you know, played in that flag football game against. Yes, him. So, you know, <laughs> yes. The next rivalry that uh, 
that I still hold dear to my heart, the TOP-NYO rivalry. Mm. So I was involved in that. Um, you know, I ran track, cross-country, played sports. You know, I was a RA for two years, my sophomore year and my junior year. So I was RA in Cayuga Hall. And, uh, you know, I had an internship at uh, WSTM, which is the Channel 3 in uh, Syracuse. So, you know, I was involved in a lot of things. So it, it, just to, you know, make the experience a lot of fun because, you know, when you put yourself out there, you involve yourself in a whole bunch of things, you make networks, you make connections. Mm -hmm. You never know, you know, who you can meet that could, you know, help you or you could help them uh, in that regard. So, you know, you don't want to just go there and just sit in the classroom and not explore. So I had four years there and I wanted to explore, you know, as much as I possibly can. So one, one of our, one of, one of the questions we like to ask people that, that went to Oswego, you haven't mentioned it yet. So were you, are, are you a sub shop fan? I would say, uh, I hate to say this, but <laughs> when I was in college, I did a lot of subway and that's because I, like the subway was like right there. Yeah. You know, it was on Bridge Street and, you know, it's probably, you know, I said Oswego was one of my best students I've ever met in my life. But one of my biggest regrets was that I didn't get more sub shop. You know, it's more of like the subway. So I sold out, you know what I mean? I went <laughs> big Unbelievable. Rather than, the, rather than the, the local local establishment. But did you have a sub when you did go there that you that you enjoyed? You know, I probably had a sub from there, but I honestly can't remember, which is bad. This is bad. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, you know, I disgraced my Oswego family <laughs> not, not being able to give a good answer. But uh, I did frequent that subway a lot just because, you know, you're a poor college student and it's convenient. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I frequented late night a lot at uh, yes. the union. Yes. I was a big late night guy. Mm -hmm. but as far as my favorite sub from sub shop, I, I can't honestly think of what my favorite sub would have been or remember my experience there. So for that, uh, for that, you know, I feel like I uh, brought shame <laughs> and dishonor to my <laughs> It's okay. We will, I did we go to Enzo's, though, the pizza place. If you guys had uh, Enzo's, Enzo's. Uh, I did a lot of Enzo's. I don't remember Enzo's. I don't remember that either. But it might have been, might have been uh, after. after you all yeah. left, but yeah. that was big when I was in Oswego. Uh, did, now, I th when you attended, By the way, what a, so I'm gonna flip it on you. What do you? What were your guys' favorite subs from the sub shop? Oh, cheeseburger yes. sub, cheeseburger yeah. sub, absolutely cheeseburger sub. With the oh. works, with the oh, works, so works. You gotta have the works. So you, so all three of you like the cheeseburger sub. Oh, Cheese yeah. yeah, cheeseburger yeah, I mean, sub all the way. It's there is no other sub as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the they have special dish. subs like Al Roker yeah. has his own sub yeah. and things like that. They have like subs named after people, but. The cheeseburger sub is is what they're known for. You know, that's yeah. that, that's just the sub. It's you know. Okay. Yeah. We we need to start a petition for for our day to have his own sub. Yeah, it's gotta happen. That because I just admitted that I had I didn't go. So, no, that's fine. Okay. They, so that's okay. Forgive you. you know, they'll forgive you. You know what? If they name a sub after me, it'll be called the Wish Sub. <laughs> wish you had something to go in it because I never went there. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, you were, the, I mean, you were there on a, at, we were still in the bagel throwing era in the, at Rom, the Golden Romney Fieldhouse. So did you, uh, did you experience any of that? Like any of the, the atmosphere there at Romney during a hockey game? And, and did you throw any bagels? Uh, I'm going to say uh, this might be strike two. 
Okay. I didn't really go to many hockey games That's because right. a lot of times it coincided with the track meets. You know what I mean? Uh, totally. But with Oswego, a lot of our track meets were on the weekends, the same time as the hockey games. Yeah. And us not having an indoor track, we had a lot of road games. So it basically Jeez. was all road games. So we had plenty of, you know, trips to Rochester or to St. Lawrence or to Buffalo. So, you know, we're constantly we're, you know, coming back late because the way winter track works is that those meets tend to run, you know, a lot longer than a cross country race because cross country, it's one boy's race, one girl's race, mm -hmm. but indoor there's multiple events and, you know, sometimes they take a while. So a lot of times we wouldn't get back until, you know, 11 o'clock midnight. Oh, yeah. And by then the hockey game is, is, is long gone, but I am familiar with the bagel throwing. I, I, I did go to a couple of hockey games in my time, but I, uh, you know, didn't get to go to too many games, unfortunately. That doesn't get striked then. That gives you a pass. You know, yeah. You had you yeah. had a very, yeah, yeah. very good reasoning for that. Yeah. Yes. Right. But you guys were a bunch of bagel tossers, all three of you? Listen, we may or may not have thrown some bagels on the ice. Okay. Uh, so Chris, Chris, allegedly. Chris more so than, than, a than Kevin. Allegedly. And I. Allegedly. <laughs> so uh, Kevin and I, Kevin and I, we, our junior year, we were, we, we worked, we did the games on NYO. Okay. And then um, oh, the enemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I worked for both. I was on TOP and NYO, but but back then we didn't have the uh, capabilities that they have today to be able to do live hockey games on TOP. Right. So you know when we when we did hockey games on T TOP back then it was like delayed by like five days because by the time <laughs> yeah recorded and then edited everything it took forever. So. So we only did it on NYO. So Kevin and I did did the games on in our junior year, and then Kevin did it again senior year, and I I did like sideline reporting and stuff like that. So I never really went to as many hockey games, but um, as a fan, I did more with you know working. So, so honestly, this is going to sound ignorant, but explain to me the throwing the bagels. What is that about? Explain that to me. Gladly, good Kevin. <laughs> go ahead. Go wheelhouse, baby. <laughs> Uh, all right. So it, it is, uh, how, how can we, where, how far back do we start? So we'll start with this, right? Um, Oswego and Plattsburgh, right? The Cardinals, there are arch rivals in hockey, right? So Plattsburgh had their own tradition where in Plattsburgh, when they scored their first goal against Oswego, they would throw tennis balls out on the ice. I don't exactly, we don't exactly know why, but we think it probably was to mock Oswego's yellow jerseys that they would wear on the road. So they would throw tennis balls. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe that isn't. I don't know. Uh, but but that it's a rumor. So, but they did. They threw tennis balls. I guess Oswego, I don't know the exact year, but they developed this tradition where they would throw bagels on the ice when Oswego would score its first goal against Plattsburgh, the Cardinals. And ostensibly, the bagel would be bird food, right? So they would say, here's your bird food. <laughs> so, so they would throw the bagels on the ice. It would make a complete mess. And then they would have to sweep up the ice and the game would be delayed for who knows how long. And um, eventually, after so many games, Oswego got called for a penalty uh, because they kept throwing bagels on the ice. So they got a, you know, a bench minor and uh, led to a goal you know, in a playoff game and, or something like that. Maybe I'm imagining or, or whatever. I'm just adding to the urban legend, but, uh, but 
yeah. And then Oswego really started to to crack down on it because it was getting to be a pain in the butt for having to clean up these bagels all the time. And especially when they moved to the new rink, they were like, nope, not one bagel is going to touch this brand new ice. So, so that's it. Throwing bagels. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's very educational. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, we, and you know, before, before we let you go, uh, Ade, we, we did want to ask you, you're, you're currently a, a high school track coach. Right. I, what what has that experience been like for you and, and how important is it, you know, for you to, to really, you know, educate, you know, future athletes? Uh, I love it. You know, I, um, you know, I love my job at CBS and mm-hmm. but I feel like the job as a volunteer coach at Nanuet High School, which is the high school I went to, uh, is, is more fulfilling because you're able to see a direct impact, you know, something that you're teaching, you know, teenage children, uh, whether it's strategy or, you know, whether it's how to think, the mindset, um, you know, you can see that impact their performance. And, you know, my job as the assistant coach, you know, I'm not the one who comes up with like the workouts or determine who's doing what event, but my role is, you know, I've been through it. I was in their shoes before and, you know, I use the stuff I've learned through the years, whether it comes to how to approach a race mentally, uh, what kind of strategy you want to apply to a race or just being confident or, some sort of training as well too but just stuff i've learned through the years i try to help them and apply that to uh to to their careers because you know i'm yes i'm well past high school and well past college but you know i've acquired a lot of knowledge through the years and um i like to try to pass that on that wisdom on along with with uh, with them so i'm there whenever i can uh whether, whether it's um you know cross country season, track season in the winter and spring season, whenever, you know, work schedule permits it. And I'm not on the road in a truck somewhere, you know, I'm there to help out in any way that I, that I possibly can. So I'm just kind of, uh, you know, another set of eyes and ears as well too, for the head coaches. So that if there's something happening that's going on that the head coach doesn't see, then I'll say, Hey, by the way, you know, maybe consider this, this, uh, this kid, Ryan, you know, says his ankles bothering him. So maybe we kind of like, throttle back on the workout for Ryan today or you know Shane says he's you know not feeling well because his knee's hurting let's you know, consider not putting him in in four events today so he could kind of like recover so you know I'm kind of like the liaison between the head coaches and the uh and the athletes and you know I try just how to help out in uh, any way I can and it's really rewarding like I mentioned because something that you show them and when they execute that in their race and perform well you're like man like that's pretty cool that something that you did had a direct impact on their performance and they're happy because they performed well. And I'm happy because, you know, they learned something that you taught them. Ade, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on, on the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. This was awesome. Uh, And we wish you continued success uh, in in your career at CBS sports. Thank you very much. And by the way, I want to say one more thing about the coaching. So this past year, our boys team, they won the section meet for the first time since 1978. Section wow, meets. nice. And then they also won the leagues for the first time since 1991. So this was a historical year for Nanny Wet track and field boys. You know, they sent, uh, I believe they sent 12 boys to states this year and two girls as well. So wow. the girls team was represented well as, as well, too. And we're one of the smaller schools. So, 
you know, we had a lot of success for such a for such a small school on the boys and the girls side. So you know, it was a great year this past season. Awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. congratulations to them. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Absolutely. They did a great job. They did a great job. The, the head coaches were great. And I was just was a small part of it when I was there. Aday, thanks again. Uh, and uh, I, I think we'll, we'll keep in touch. I think we need to take you to uh, the, the sub shop. Uh, yeah, when, for sure. You know, next time you come up. So I'm definitely in, I feel like I got to make up for some lost time. Okay. We'll, we'll get it done. <laughs> All right, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Another great guest on the Throwing Bagels podcast. And thank you uh, so much to Ade Ellis for for joining us. One, one of the many tremendous Oswego State graduates that are out there in this in the sports media industry, media industry in general, and, and just doing excellent work uh behind the scenes. Uh so can't say enough about about his career and 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 just grateful that he spent some time with us. On our, on our podcast yep i mean he just he was able to he just told us everything he does and like does it wh- what he's doing exactly you know and like mm-hmm. covering football covering the, the nca tournament like that nca tournament that's awesome i mean that's like mm. that's something i would have loved to be able to cover you know at some point in my life um i've been but to be able to cover it is a totally different situation um you know covering the masters like that's just that's just pretty cool. And then getting Tiger Woods' cool. autograph on a flag. <laughs> I mean, you know? that's freaking amazing. It was really amazing. But I did enjoy him kind of breaking down like what happens in a golf broadcast. Uh-huh. I don't yeah. think many See. people really understand. Like he's so right. Like, you know, football, soccer, baseball, it's all happening in just one location. There's 18 holes on a golf course. And I mean, you've got to pivot and turn that around and like seconds and it's like seamless on television which is just amazing amazing to think about it's true guess what guys this is six months to the day to the day i think since we launched our first uh, podcast about that and they say it couldn't be done (laughs) (laughs) this has been a great a great six months you know and a lot of fun it has uh, but we we appreciate you listening to us, you know, over the past six months, and hope uh, hope you're enjoying it, and then we want to hear from you. So, uh, you know, give, drop us a line, throwing bagels podcast at gmail.com. We do have another blog coming up next week. I think Chris is on deck for that one. Yes, it's in yeah. the editing process right it's now. It's in the editing process. Nice and. Uh, the most recent one was Jason talking about the, uh, the the tradition, one of the great traditions of sports, which is the handshake line at the end of every hockey game. And that sadly doesn't really happen in any other sport. seems like it just continues to happen in hockey. And that, you know, that's pretty cool. It's not the same in every sport. Like football players shake hands after the game, but it's not really the yeah. same type of thing. You right. know? Yeah. There's no, it's not the, there's no ceremony to it. You know Right. I mean? Yeah. I mean, soccer players, shake hands after games too but you're right there's no line you know mm-hmm. where they'll actually shake hands and hug each other mm-hmm. yeah with hockey everyone shakes hands with everyone else exactly yes. so the whole especially team. after beating the crap out of each other for yeah. 60 at least 60 yeah. minutes it's so, yeah so, so a lot of great stuff on the blog uh so stay tuned for the next one uh and that, that's coming out uh next this coming monday And then uh, you can enjoy your 4th of July.
And, yeah, uh, we and it will be a nice story about the 4th of July. So uh, cool. there you go, a little sneak preview. All right. We are looking forward to it. Until next time, Chris. Until next time, Kevin. Until next time. Until next time, Jay. Adios. Adios.